Hey again, everybody. Welcome in to the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. I'm Scott Agnes. Well, the Pacers are in the midst of a playoff series that could go either way. They're trailing the Toronto Raptors in the best of seven series. Three to two and oh, man. Man, game five. They were up 13 going into that fourth quarter. And they had their worst fourth quarter in franchise history. ABA or NBA managed just nine points. And they were outscored by 16 points in total. Ultimately lose 102 to 99. And yet still, on the final play of the game, they had an opportunity. But Solomon Hill, milliseconds away from beating the buzzer and knocking down that three-pointer from the left arc. But they should have never been in that spot in the first place. This should have been a 6 8, 10-point game. This was the first game of five in the series that was decided by single digits. Just three points separating these teams after the first four games were decided by 13.5 points per game. But the Pacers lost that one. They got to own up to it. They have to win. Finally, here you go. Game six is actually a must win. And if you follow me on Twitter or hear me on daily radio program, you know I hate the use of must win. But game six for the Pacers is truly a must win. Well, coming up on the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast, you'll hear my conversation with Mike Mazio of ESPN.com. He's covering this series from the Raptors perspective. But during the regular season, he's on the Brooklyn Nets beat for ESPN.com. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher. On iTunes, all you got to do is open it up, go to search, type in Pacers at your first result, click subscribe, and bam, you'll be the first one to know when a new Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast is available. Joined now by Mike Mazio to discuss the first five games of the Pacers-Raptors series, and we'll look ahead to Game 6 coming up Friday night here in Indianapolis. Mike, uh, thanks for taking time in the middle of a layover for your trip here to Indianapolis. What is it like to finally cover a winning team? (laughs) That's funny, Scott. I mean, you know, I covered a a 21-win Nets team, um, and it was tough at times, and I think, like, Toward the end of like Lionel Hollins and Billy King, right before they decided to make a change in the uh, front office, and you know, head coach, um, it felt like the season was never going to end. Honestly, it was just blowout losses, dejected locker rooms, um, just a lot of doom and gloom. Um, and then to go to this, like in Game Five, when the crowd at Air Canada Center was going crazy as the Raptors were making this twenty-one-two run, this miracle run in the fourth quarter, um, it was wild. You know, I mean, I'm I'm impartial. You know, I'm a journalist, but like you get the chills when you hear the crowd like that. And you're like, you know what? All of this covering, you know, a losing team and, uh, you know, a franchise that is probably going to have a long resulting process. Mm-hmm. Um, and going through 82 games of that was totally worth it to see these, this type of, like, you know, it may not be the best playoff series, but to me, given what I've covered, it's, it's pretty awesome at this point. Yeah. This. yeah, for you, it's got to get old. How many different storylines and, and ways can you say they lost it and play well? There's not much talent on this team. Like, that, that's right. what you write about. <laughs> right, exactly. How many times can I say they have no first-round picks? And, you know, everybody has free agent money, so we'll see what they can do. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Brooklyn and Toronto are definitely in pretty different situations at this point. All right, let's get on to winning basketball. Pacers-Raptors series going on, just the first round. What were your expectations for the series going in? Did you feel like the Raptors were a heavy favorite? Where, where did you see the series going? And then how do you feel about it after we've seen five games now? Right, well, going in, I, I picked the Raptors in six. Um, I just thought that top to bottom, they had the better roster. Um, 
Indiana might have the best player in this series, and so far that's played out. I mean, Paul George has been pretty phenomenal, given that his supporting cast, is, you, you've seen all year, you can speak to this better than I can, but the supporting cast around Paul George is pretty hit and miss. I mean, yeah, occasionally you're going to get, I mean, George Hill's been really good this series, especially, you know, containing Kyle Lowry as well as he has, but um, Miles Turner's 20 years old, and he's been tremendous at times, but I mean, again, he's, you know, he's going to be a star, but at this point, who knows what you're going to get from him. Mahimi's had the back issue, he had that one really good game, but um, you know, the Raptors bench is so terrific. Um, it was real spark for them, and it was in, in game two in the second quarter, kind of to get DeMar DeRozan going with George, I mean, uh, with Paul George on the bench. But, like, I mean, the story of last game was really the fact that Paul George sat for 655, and the Raptors outscored the Pacers 19 1 in that stretch. Um, and, and with Paul George on the court, they were what? Plus 15, you know, whatever it was, like plus 25 going into the fourth. Um, so, Paul George is the best player in the series. Could he do it four times? I said no, he couldn't. But who knows? The way this series has gone, you never know. Paul George might have two 40-point games and 45 minutes in him. And I, you know, if he did that, it wouldn't shock me. That was the amazing stat that I saw you post from ESPN Stats and Info. Just through the, that 655 that Paul George was off the court, the Pacers did not make a shot. I think they were 0 for 10, and they were a ridiculous number, minus 18 or something like that. It just shows... Paul George's value. I, I had John Schumann on the podcast previously. He was covering the series. And we talked about plus and minus. I'm not a big fan of it, but in this specific series, Paul George's plus and minus, is, I think, is very indicative of the Pacers' success. No question. I mean, again, like you said, like, like John said, plus minus, probably not the best stat, but when you're looking at the game, you know, especially in Game 5, you're like, well, Paul George is on the court. He's unstoppable. He's making shots. Pacers are far and away the better team. And then when he's off the court, and, you know, I think Vogel went to his bench at one point, like had all his bench guys in, and the bench is not exactly a strong suit for the Pacers. I mean, the Raptors were really able to take advantage. Um, so, again, that's kind of the chess match Frank Vogel and Dwayne Casey are playing right now. I think Vogel's done a pretty phenomenal job. I mean, game one, all the timeouts he called as the Raptors were trying to make runs, um, you know, it was terrific. It, it worked. And then, you know, him being able to manage this team that may not have, like, top to bottom that much talent to get them to play as good defense as they do. What were they, like, third in the league in defense? And, mm-hmm. you know, the Raptors are definitely struggling to score. They haven't had many stretches where they've, you know, gone on that miraculous run like they did in Game 5. So I think Vogel's doing as good a job as, as he can in this series, given that, you know, his talent top to bottom probably isn't as good as, as Casey's. But, uh, you know, the Raptors are in position to finally win a best-of-seven series for the first time in franchise history which is pretty, you know, remarkable. You're covering things for ESPN.com. From the Raptors' perspective, it was Mike Wells, now Nick Friedle, uh covering kind of from the Pacers' side. One of the things, Coach Dwayne Casey, an Indianapolis native, by the way, one thing that he did in this last game, Game 5, he did not start Luis Skull, the former Pacer, and opted to go with Patrick Patterson in the starting lineup. How did you think that fared? Well, I mean, Patrick Patterson was like minus 20, so, I mean, it didn't, it didn't go well. Um, and, and Patterson hadn't started, you know, I think since the preseason. Um, they didn't like to do it, you know, whether that's good or bad, whether the numbers say that's good or bad, whatever. They just didn't do it. You know, they won 56 games with Louis Gold pretty much being their regular starter power forward. Yeah. So that worked well for them. Um, the one thing was, like, overall, I guess the advanced stats said, Valentunas plays really well with Patterson, and Scola plays really well with Biombo. But Biombo's going to be down there, and is kind of a score spacer, and he's become a better three-point shooter. But in this series, it's like if Luis Skull is not hitting threes and in that blowout game four, he missed everything. I mean, the Pacers kind of let the Raptors come back in it, but it was like every time they had a chance to get in single digits, Skull would have an open three and miss. 
Um, and if he's not hitting open threes, he, he almost has no value. So, you know, I mean, will he go back to that starting unit? It's a really good question, what he's going to do at power forward there, because Damari Carroll, I mean, in, in games three and four, was probably, you know, was definitely the best Raptor on the court and was doing a really good job hitting Paul George. Um, not so much the case in game five. But, I mean, again, Carroll's coming off this, this injury that cost him, like, 56 games. So, I mean, who knows how much he's going to have on, on any given night. But, I mean, there was two days off. So that'll be interesting to see. I mean, that George, the George-Carroll matchup is interesting. And then the George versus the Rosen matchup is, is just as intriguing as well. Russ and Indy, we of course love Louis Scola. He was one of the go-to quotes, but I can't blame Dwayne Casey for that change because if he's not hitting shots and he's had to stretch out to the three-point line to kind of maintain an effectiveness on the court, those shots aren't falling and the Pacers are really sagging off of him, not playing him in the defensive end where they can then take advantage. Yeah, then they kind of render him useless a little bit just like they did um, during the regular season. A couple minutes ago, you brought up the Raptors' history in the playoffs, and it's not good. They haven't advanced past the first round in over 15 years. I'm curious, from covering the Raptors' side, how much do you feel like that's kind of weighing down on them? I'm sure they're all very well aware of it, but do you feel like there's added pressure? They feel that added pressure because of it? I'm sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one of the interesting things going into the series was when Masai Ujiri said, you know, kind of gave Dwayne Casey that vote of confidence. That, well, you know, the program is growing. You know, we're winning more games. You know, each of the last three years, they've increased their regular season win total. Um, but at the end of the day, for this core group, you know, whether it's DeRozan, Valanciunas, Lowry, Casey, you know, as good as they were in the regular season, for them to validate all that, and I kind of wrote this in that Lowry piece I did on ESPN.com today, to validate everything they've done in transforming this franchise, because um, Lowry was on his way out of town. You know, it looked like they were going to trade him to the Knicks and kind of start the rebuild. Trade didn't happen, you know, and all of a sudden they, they moved Rudy Gay, got Patrick Patterson, got Grievous Vasquez, who they turned to, you know, into Norman Powell, which was a tremendous trade by Masai. You know, all of a sudden they become this perennial playoff team, but until they get over the hump, given what happened last year getting swept by Washington and really not building off the, the unbelievable best of seven they played against Brooklyn, um, the year before, you know, they, they need to win this series. They really do. Otherwise, you know, who knows what, what comes next, whether, you know, Dwayne gets his team option picked up and, and whether DeMar DeRozan stays or, you know, maybe decides to go to L.A. somewhere else. We're recording this Thursday night, of course, right during the NFL draft. The Raptors have a 3-2 lead in this best-of-seven series. You've been up at the Air Canada Center and the surroundings for the uh, those first three games so far. For Pacer fans here in Indy, can you just kind of describe just kind of what that environment, what that atmosphere is like with a sold-out venue every single game, regular season and playoffs this year, and then the Jurassic Park we always see on TV? Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. Like, the... I guess the TV ratings for them aren't that great, but like they're always packing the building. And I've been there regular season and postseason. It's it's one of the best venues to to watch basketball. I just you know it, again like the crowd doesn't need any you know piped in noise or anything like that. Doesn't need the PA announcer to say hey let's get loud. Like mm-hmm. fans just completely buy in. It's one of those things that almost kind of reminds me of some hockey teams in the U.S. where like the people that are into it are into it. And you saw, I mean, how well they traveled in Indianapolis, bringing all their flags and their signs. And, and I'm expecting like some of the same tomorrow night in yeah, Game 5 I mean, or Game out, 6. Right, a closeout game on the weekend. Like, it would be good if they traveled well. But, um, you know, the fan base is just it's really tremendous. And, like, you see outside that Jurassic Park in that Maple Leaf Square area where there's two to 3,000 people. And, like, you know, the last game it was miserable out. Like, I was barely, I barely wanted to be outside. And these people stood out there for three, four hours watching a basketball game. <laughs> yeah, not um, doing that. It shows you kind of like, you know, how, how great it is. Now, you know, the Raptors play in Canada, and so, like, they always kind of feel like their backs are against the wall, and, you know, they're getting 
screwed on everything, which, which I, you know, I get, I get. It almost kind of feels like a mid-major basketball team or something like that in college where, you know, we're the little guy, we're the underdog, um, you know, we're going to hopefully have players that kind of embody us. And I think this Raptors roster, you know, given where everybody kind of came from, especially like Kyle Lowry, career journeyman who, you know, turned into a two-time all-star starter. I mean, they kind of have like a, they just have a really, really tremendous following of people that are, that are uh, fans of the team. It's, it's, it's remarkable, especially, you know, you get it being from Indiana and Indiana U and Butler and all that stuff. I mean, the basketball fans in India are, are tremendous as well. It did get awfully quiet, at least it seemed like on TV in Game 5 until that fourth quarter. What was the feel? Was it kind of every, every, all the fans on edge at that point as the Pacers had a 13-point lead going into the fourth quarter? Yeah, I mean, if you were to like probably think of what percentage the Raptors had a chance to come back from that game, probably been like <laughs> less than 1%. Yeah. I mean, you just figure Paul George is going to sit for two or three minutes, but how can they cut 13 points? Um, you know, they cut what? When George came back, I think. I think it was only like minus four. So I think the Raptors still had, you know, I mean, the Pacers still had a nine point lead. You just figured they're going to put the game away. And um, those lineup Casey put out there that he hadn't put out there all year Biombo and Terrence Ross, Corey Joseph, Lowry, and uh, whoever, oh, Norm Powell. I mean, it just was terrific. That was kind of just throwing throwing all their chips in a little bit, right? Because it had yeah, previous I mean, it was, lineups had was, not worked to that point. Exactly. It was, it was basically all the guys that Dwayne Casey felt were going to give them a chance, as he said, to go down swinging. Um, and it just, it worked. Powell was just unbelievable on George defensively. Biombo pretty much was the game changer because, I mean, as good as Paul George was, um, in those small lineups with Biombo at center and then four smalls around him, it paced, uh, the Raptors were plus 25. They outscored Indy uh, 38-13. And I think Indy shot like 22% with that lineup on the court. So Biombo was really great in the pick and roll, switching, they were able to switch everything. He's an excellent rim protector and Grabbed 16 rebounds, so he was he was really terrific. I mean, he was really their unsung hero there. Yeah, 10 and 16 for him, and early in the series, the story of the first three games, really, at least from this side, was Valanciunas and this guy that many fans didn't know much about, but he had been a pacer killer over the the last few years. He he was averaging in double double. Really, though, that storyline has kind of changed a bit, little bit as the Pacers have contained him, and maybe Waters found its level, and he's kind of back to who he was. Yeah, it's, it's it's a good point. Um, you know, early on in the series, like you said, he was he was unstoppable, especially uh, games one and two. I mean, what was he? He was averaging like eighteen and seventeen or something like that. The first couple of games, it was um, nuts. You know, he's a he's a. It's because their offense is so reliant on Lowry and DeRozan. Sometimes I do feel like he maybe can get lost. Um, he's just a, I don't know. He's kind of like a weird player. He kind of reminds me of Brook Lopez. That like there's so much skill there, but he's you know he's he's only twenty three and he has such a ways to go, and he's he's so tremendous, but. It's, Almost like sometimes you forget about him, and his his mid range shot is still maybe not there. So, you, but I mean, you get him in post ups, and you know he's a force on the glass. Um, so maybe you go back to him. But I mean, early in that first quarter, I think he had four turnovers in like three minutes. I mean, the Pacers doing a phenomenal job of trapping and double teaming, and then and then get some fast break points of transition, which kind of seems like again another adjustment Frank Vogel made. He said, you know, we don't have the, this great team, maybe, but let's get this into a track and even get some points of transition. I think they did that for three quarters, and then I don't know in the fourth how many transition points they had. I think it was like two or three. Um, so, you know, I mean, Vogel is, is doing a tremendous job. Yeah, Pacers had last game just four fast break points in the second half. And I wanted to get right, back okay. to that game five because just it was such a meltdown 
by the Pacers. I did not agree with the substitution patterns that Frank Vogel did where he kept Paul George, George Hill, Monte Ellis on the bench for the first three minutes. But they still had a seven-point lead, and there were nine minutes to go, and the meltdown continued, had their worst fourth quarter in history. That's amazing to me. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's just like like I said. I mean, if you were to if you were to count, you know, what percentage of the Pacers had to win in that game, given that George was at thirty seven through three and nobody could guard him, you just thought, I mean, all the Pacers have to do in this quarter is be minus twelve. They could have got outscored by twelve points, still in the game by one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was it was it was wild. I mean, just everything basically went right for for Toronto. They just like Kyle Lowry said to me, I said it was like steel layup, steel layup, steel layup, and it just. You know, it was slow, but then all of a sudden, you know, you see Lauren Powell going for that ridiculous dunk, and then Joseph and DeRozan hit back-to-back threes. All of a sudden, they're up by six. And, you know, even still, I mean, I think the one point that's interesting is, like, the Raptors have had so many back-breaking moments in the playoffs where things haven't gone right. You know, for them to mess up the coverage with Powell and Joseph on the three-pointer by Solomon Hill, and, you know, the ball is still being in his hands. With, you know, Milliseconds. Right. I mean, I mean, it's just one of those things for the Raptors. Maybe Man. they just look at it and say, you know what? We're such a woebegone franchise, snake-bin franchise, that just happens to us all the time, and for once it doesn't. You know, because if it goes to OT, who knows what happens. I think the Raptors still go on to win. Pacers did not play well in that fourth quarter. Paul George just one of three for two points. I, that's what amazed me the most. I was looking up the record books at the end of the third quarter. He had 37, was four away from Reggie's record at 41, and he finished short of that. I was thinking he'd go to 50-ish. Agreed. I mean, and, and, and the fact was, you know, Carroll wasn't even on the court. And Carroll was really effective guarding him in games three and four. Um, and just Norman Powell, I mean, this guy, what, you know, that Masai made this trade. You know, he traded Grievous Vasquez to Milwaukee and got that second-round pick, and they decided to take Norman Powell, and then it protected first next year. I mean, it was just a – it pretty much was a steal, you know, because the Raptors kind of changed their identity. They had more of an offensive unit coming off the bench last year with Lou Williams and and Grievous, Lou went to L.A., Grievous, they traded him, they brought in, like, more two-way players, Biombo, Corey Joseph, um, and those guys, you know, those additions by Masai have been tremendous for the Raptors. Mike, on the other side of things, the defensive job that the Pacers have done on DeRozan and Lowry, with the exception, of course, of DeRozan's Game 5, how ineffective they have been offensively, in part because of the way the Pacers have contested every one of their shots. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's just, like, credit to Paul George, like, I think I forgot. It. I don't know if maybe, you know, everybody forgot, like, how good a defender he was. Like, I mean, before his injury, like, when he was, when they put, when they went deep into the Eastern Conference Finals, they lost to, mm-hmm. I guess it was Miami. Yeah, back-to-back like, years. Peak, right, that was peak, like, when they had David West and, and Roy Hibbert, like, George, was, that was when he really made his move to, like, oh, my God, this guy could be a top-five player. Um, and then him, for him to come back and, and have the season he had off the, you know, his leg practically getting shattered in that, that Olympic, you know, yeah. exhibition game to come back the way he has is, is ridiculous. That's uh, one of the that's one of the underrated stories I feel like of the season. You've got the Kobe nonsense that really got exhausting for me, at least until the last <laughs> game or two. I, I keep using that word exhausting, but it really what it is. Paul, I mean, this guy had a broken leg. You saw his bones sticking out. And he missed all but six games last season. He's come back, and I think, again, he's back to being that top 15 player at least in the league. Right, and you look at the supporting cast around him, and you compare it to other superstars in the league. I mean, for them to get how many, what did they have, 40, 45 wins, mid-40s wins mm-hmm. um, this year was, again, remarkable. And I don't, he didn't miss a game, right? He sat out the last game, but for rest purposes. 
Right. So he basically played a full season after after that. Was just extremely productive. Basically, you know, especially early on, then he kind of hit the wall a little bit in the middle of the season. But I mean, when he had he when you guys got off to that. Sorry, the Pacers. You guys start. Um, <laughs> got it. When the Pacers got you know when the Pacers got off to that whatever start eleven and five or whatever it was, and he's just he's playing out of his mind um, early and then hits the wall a little bit. But you know, I've stayed consistent. I mean, in these playoffs been way way better than i expected i just didn't know you know after 82 games how much this guy left in the tank and clearly he has a ton i don't know if he has 96 minutes left in him and he might need to have that but he might yeah the thing is at least in the postseason is you have these they're having two days between games here and that's one of the reasons i thought he shouldn't have set out the fourth quarter put the pedal on the metal there to get into that fourth quarter take a 20 point lead and then with three four five minutes to go he can sit uh yeah i mean you can i got yeah i guess you can argue that to the death I mean, I think your point about, you know, the three top guys, uh, you know, in their backcourt all sitting at the same time, you know, Hill, Ellis, and, uh, and George all sitting at the same time might have been worse, you know, a worse move than, than sitting Paul George for six minutes. Because, I mean, even LeBron and Steph aren't playing, you know, 48 minutes a night, you know, especially off a, a major injury. I, I can understand Vogel sitting in six minutes, but you know, maybe the rotation in which he did it was, was problematic. Yeah, and I think that's the key point. I talked to the radio color analyst, Austin Crozier, and he was saying, hey, I was right there courtside, and Paul was signaling to Frank, hey, I need a break right here. So it's just, right. it's how they staggered him leaves you head-scratching a little bit. Why not stagger him a couple minutes to ensure that one of them is always on the floor? Agreed, agreed. And that's just something, you know, if they lose the series, Bogle's going to have to deal with. But I just think overall he's just, Again, all the adjustments he's made, um, you know, moving Miles Turner back into the starting lineup was, was a really good move for him. And I just feel like, again, given the talent gap between these two teams, at least top to bottom, um, I think he's done, you know, as, as good a job as possible. And if they do lose the series, he's going to look back and say, yeah, I mean, probably in that game five, you know, I needed to have more support out there when, you know, the Pacers are playing, you know, Lowry with the bench unit, which has been, Whatever bench they've thrown around Lowry has been has been one of their biggest assets, biggest weapons this season. Yeah, and you talk about the bench and Rodney Stuckey might have just turned in his worst game of the season. I feel or of his career, I should say. I feel bad for him too because one of the storylines I hit on going into the postseason was he was finally back in the postseason. He went all the way back to 2009. CJ Miles too. He went back to 2010, and these guys just have not played well at all. Right, and I mean, Miles was, was key for, for the Pacers early on. I mean, he got off to an unbelievable start, and you know, he couldn't make shots, and Stucky's been in and out of the lineup with injury, and he went, what, one for ten last game, and then yep. you know, Drake's like clapping in his ear, and you're just like, God, I, you know, you, again, you do, you do feel for a guy like that who's been through a lot. Um, and they do have a lot of veteran guys on their team, and I mean, you know, if you were to tell me one of these teams is going to win by 20 tomorrow, win at the buzzer, the way this series has gone, it's just been completely unpredictable. Nothing would shock me. Yeah, that's what it's been, with the exception of Game 5. The previous four games were all decided by double digits and an average of 13.5 points. So to finally have a game within three and Solomon Hill nanoseconds from forcing overtime gave us our first down-to-the-wire game. Yeah, thank goodness, because, I mean, this is, you know, again, in like the, the... Of the eight playoff series going on, it definitely doesn't have the most juice. There's just all these other things going on. Unfortunately, injuries have kind of taken over with, you know, Blake and, and Chris Paul and, and Steph, um, which is so disappointing because, you know, in the NBA, it's kind of almost the same thing every year where I think only two non-top seed, three seeds that ever won the NBA title. One was like the Celtics in the 60s, and the other one was the Rockets in 94, 95, when Clyde missed about half the year, and they were like a four seed. So, I mean, I always think there's 
should be less playoff teams, but I know that's not how it works. There's got to be, you know, money made in TV. All about that money, Mike. (laughs) Right. It is, you know, give a bunch of fan bases hope. But again, I mean, in the NBA, it just plays out where, like, the top teams are the ones that, you know, make runs, um, unless barring injury. And so, uh, you know, it is tough that you have a playoff series like this, but two teams that are really good but just the natural the national interest obviously isn't there yeah and the odds are against the pacers one in 11 all time in a best of seven series went down three two do you have a kind of a read for this game personally i'll I'll go first here i think the pacers will win this one and i say this because they're in the position that they love that they play their best in and that's when playing from behind being counted out not on a legit national television network they kind of play their best with their backs against the wall like many teams do. So if I had to pick someone, I think the Pacers will come out and win Friday night. Right. I mean, it, it wouldn't, again, nothing nothing would surprise me. I do, you know, I think it's kind of annoying to hear how big are the first six minutes always asked. But, I mean, in this series. In this series big, particular. And, right. And, and it's like, what does Dwayne Chase do? Because, I mean, you always talk about, like, it's not who you start, it's who you finish with. You know, but, again, I mean, for this team, it's like, they need to figure out some sort of rotation to start the game where they get off to a good start. I mean, in Game 3 in Indy, DeRozan goes off for 12 points, kind of sets the tone, they they roll, and then, you know, the next game it was like, you know, Lowry got in foul trouble early, and then they kind of couldn't recover in Game 4, and Indy got off to that huge lead and was able to hold on every time they would get, you know, the Raptors get within 10-12, they would just miss open threes, and I think they shot like 8 for 33 in the 9 uncontested threes in that game, but... Um, you know, I think, yeah, I, mean, I think whoever wins that first quarter, I mean, at least the way things have gone, it's won the game. So if you were telling me Indy would win, you know, and, and then we'd have a game seven back in Toronto on Sunday afternoon, I, I wouldn't be shocked at all. Last thing I want to wrap up here with you, and feel free to say as little or as much as you want, considering you are employed by ESPN, but it's very surprising for me and, and so many others today when finally we figured out the TV and time for Friday's game, and it's going to be. On the first time in history, I was told today, ESPN News has a live NBA playoff game. It'll, it's also first that a ESPN game will be simulcasted on NBA TV. It just seems so strange to me that now in the postseason that you're on a second, third tier network and a network that many don't pay for on their cable and satellite providers. <laughs> I'll let you go with that one, man. I don't know what to say with that. Yeah. I figured you didn't want to touch that one just uh, because the old employer, but it, it does seem rather surprising to me. Well, Mike, I guess you have three games on and how many networks, you know, if ESPN's got all the games, they have to go with one series. And, you know, I'm sure pretty much the ratings talk, right, with pretty much everything. I mean, the NFL is king. Yep. So, like, tonight there's no game, and the, right? There's one NBA playoff game, and the NBA draft is probably crushing the ratings right now. So, you know, I mean, I get it. It's pretty much all about ratings. That's just how life works. That's why, you know, the uh, Unfortunately, in our industry, you know, some places are shutting down because their their readership's not there. So it's just it's all about ratings. Yeah, and in the other two games, especially when Toronto, they're going to be on. They're locally on TSN, and the Pacers will be local on Fox Sports Indiana. I I totally get it. It just seems weird. I guess is is more than anything what the point well, I hope here. Everybody turns. Into, I hope everybody turns into ESPN News. <laughs> yes, ESPN News, NBA TV, and Fox Sports Indiana. Mike, I appreciate it. I'll see you coming up for Game Six. Sounds good, Scott. Thanks for having me.
My thanks again to Mike for taking the time to record a podcast while in the middle of the Detroit airport. Don't see a lot of Mike throughout the regular season because he covers the Brooklyn Nets for ESPN.com, but it's been nice to have him along with several other national media come in and cover this series for their respective outlets. Well, my shout-outs for this week are simple. It's to the fans for staying with this team, for bringing it every single home game, and I enjoy our engagement on social media throughout games. Thanks for being there. Thanks for following along. And thanks for listening to today's podcast. I promise in upcoming episodes, I might just have some giveaways. Again, subscribe to the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher. And I'll talk to you again next week.